0: Good morning. Please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. 1 Peter 4, 1 through 6. So since Christ suffered in the flesh, you also arm yourselves with the same attitude, because the one who has suffered in the flesh has finished with sin and that he spends the rest of his time on earth concerned about the will of God and not human desires. For the time that has passed was sufficient for you to do what the non-Christians desire. You lived then in debauchery, evil desires, drunkenness, carousing, drinking bouts, and wanton idolatries. So they are astonished when you do not rush with them into the same flood of wickedness and they vilify you. They will face a reckoning before Jesus Christ, who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. Now it was for this very purpose that the gospel was preached to those who are now dead, so that though they were judged in the flesh by human standards, they may live spiritually by God's standards. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Julie. Good morning. You guys awake yet? It's 2023 now. Can you believe, can you, can you tell me when was the last time we actually went through a chapter in the book of Peter, 1 Peter? Anybody? I can tell you it was last year. It was last, I know. My kids are actually... Um, telling me that, I, that I'm doing a terrible job, uh, job with my, my dad jokes. And um, the older I get, the harder it is to come up with good ones, so uh, I try, all right? So he, here's what I wanna do. Before we, before we dive into this wonderful text of Scripture in 1 Peter chapter, uh, chapter 4, verses one through six, uh, I just wanna do a little uh, revision just really quickly. Um, about what Peter, uh, who is he, and actually we're not going to talk about him, but why, why the letter? So, if you flip to chapter 1, if you have your Bibles open, go to chapter 1 with me really quickly. We're just going to a, do a rundown here. This letter was written by Peter, the apostle, and when Peter writes this letter, he writes to a group of churches that were located in Asia Minor, like today, modern Turkey. This was a church that was not written to one church, but to many churches. So this, this letter is going to be rotated and circulated amongst some churches. And during that time, those churches are facing a lot of hostility and persecution. As you can see in the first two verses, he talks about those who have been dispersed abroad, which means they're, they're, they're moving away from where they were because of what the gospel has, co- has caused in their lives. And then he goes through an exaltation. He talks about the new birth from verses 3 all the way down to 12 in chapter 1, and he talks about how blessed we are. Listen to this in verse verse 3 of chapter 1. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he gave us a new birth. And then he moves into um, a declaration, not only of praise that helps him to understand not only their situation, but also understand a little bit more about the the main components that Peter's gonna touch throughout the letter. And then he moves on to the new identity that they have now in Christ. And he does that through verses 13 all the way down to chapter two, verse 10 it is right there after those verses that peter does what i call the unthinkable he he in verse 11 all the way down to the beginning of chapter 3 he explains if you look in here how the suffering can actually be used as a tool for the gospel to to represent their savior and all because they have been freed from their previous condition which was a condition of sin before god to a condition of freedom because of the blood of jesus But peter was a smart individual and he knew his encouragement here would not only perhaps motivate them to continue to do this but he knew his encouragement would not stop the persecution from taking place peter did not have that power but peter knew that god was able to actually do anything according to his will so he he continues to express to the believers here in verses 10 of chapter 3 all the way down to the end of chapter 3 that He's reminding them that their future vindication is not coming in this present condition. And he uses that as the ultimate example, Jesus Christ, at verses 18 all the way down to 22. In chapter 3, he talks about Jesus dying, but he focused not only on the death, he focused on the resurrection and the fact that Jesus is now seated at the right hand of God. He says ultimately that is your goal to be raised with him and that's when we find ourselves in chapter four so let me let me pray really quickly just ask the lord to bless our time together and to bless his word and to bear fruit inside of us father we thank you so much for this day we praise you that you are the almighty god we thank you so much that today we can look at your word and we can, we can learn from you that you have called us to be equipped with the same attitude of Jesus so that we might be able to be accountable for the things that we've done on this earth because you have saved us. So Father, open your, your word, open our hearts. Remove me from, from uh, between what you want to communicate and the listeners here today your people and your family and i pray father that anything that i say that's not according to your word that you would remove completely from their hearts we love you lord but we thank you for loving us first in jesus name we pray amen first peter chapter 4 verses 1 so since christ suffered in the flesh you also arm yourselves with the same attitude because the one who has suffered in the flesh has finished with sin the first thing that Peter does in the first two verses here is he's calling them to arms. And that's the main point on your, on your outline here, which means that he's calling them to have a prepared mind concerned, that is concerned with the will of God. The first thing that we see here right off the bat is that Peter's going to establish a divine pattern. And what I mean by that is that he says, Christ suffered in the flesh. Now, you know as well as I do that repetition is a very important thing. I repeat things multiple times to my kids because I want them to know that what I'm saying, my my communicating to them is important. Sometimes I repeat myself because they're not listening. But God is actually telling them here, look at Peter says, you have suffered in the flesh, and he uses that twice in this first verse to emphasize that there's a new pattern that's been established even in the midst of your suffering, that Christ suffered in the flesh Humanly speaking, he put himself in a position just like ours and now he can, according to the author of Hebrews, he can empathize with us and he understands our condition and our suffering. According to Peter, First Peter chapter 3, let's go back here, verse 18 to 22, especially verse 18, it says this, because Christ also suffered once for sins listen he suffered once again that's the theme here the just for the unjust christ for us to bring you to god with the purpose it is according to first peter 1 verse uh, uh, chapter 3 verse 18 to 22 that the suffering of christ was the pathway to victory and his exaltation and that through the resurrection that he was brought into, up to heaven at the right hand of God, he now tells us that that's the expectation we can have even in the midst of our suffering. In other words, Christ's suffering in the flesh was, was not in vain, it was, it was with, the, with a purpose. It was to bring you to God, according to verse 18 of chapter three. Now, I, I do things in my life sometimes that I, as I stopped and look back and realized that had no purpose whatsoever what was i thinking but peter is making the connection here that all the suffering was for the sake of you his pattern of suffering was demonstrated in order to be followed not only in order to be worshipped which means i can stand up here and i can worship what he's done but now he's saying i've done this to you so you can understand and do it yourself not for the sake of salvation of others, but for the sake of representation of the one who has saved you. Listen to what he says in chapter 2, verse 20 and 21. He says this, For what credit is it if you sin and are mistreated and endure it? But if you do good and suffer and so endure it, this finds favor with God. So if you do suffer and you endure for his sake, that finds favor with God. For this you were called, now we struggle sometimes trying to identify what's, what's God's will for my life. But sometimes we ignore the, the very fact that God's will is actually descriptive here. And so for this, you're called and what is, what is the calling since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. So if you suffer, don't think that that has no purpose. Peter's describing all this idea here to tell them, hey, listen, there's encouragement in suffering. You are encouraged now because Christ's suffering for you brought you to life before God. So there there is rejoicing. The problem here, as I think through this, is the problem with us. As I think through this, is that we like life to be too comfortable and enjoyable. Easy. We like what feels good. Most of the times we want the things that bring us pleasure in the moment more than we want the things that will bring us sanctification in the future. So if Christ's suffering was left as an example to us, how do we prepare ourselves for this suffering? And and Peter answers this question in the second part of verse one. He says this, you also arm yourselves with the same attitude, whose attitude? Jesus. To arm yourselves means to prepare with the focus of, of process or equipping. It literally means, it's a military language that literally means you need to arm yourselves spiritually as a soldier prepares himself for war. That's not an easy thing and that's not a light request. He's not telling you here, you prepare yourselves by taking a three-week vacation in July. He's not telling yourselves, you prepare yourself by going to the gym. He's, he's saying you prepare yourself with the attitude of Jesus. And the presentation here of this attitude means you have to have the thought, the knowledge, and the insight that expresses itself in determined action, which means that I only, not only I need to know the attitude of Jesus, but I need to know in order to apply it. Now, if you came to my house or if I brought my kids to your house one day and I left them there for a few hours, you would notice that I do this sign to my kids. I tell my kids that there's, there's three, three things they're supposed to do. Number one, they're supposed to listen. Number two, they're supposed to obey. And number three, they're supposed to have fun. Most often, my kids and even myself, we wanna jump to number three because we want to enjoy life. But I tell my kids, and I think God tells us that we cannot obey him if we don't listen because i listen first so i can obey appropriately and by doing that second step that leads me hopefully by enjoying the life that god has given us so by embracing the attitude of christ we can listen to god and he's asking us to imitate him we can obey him with the purpose of now enjoying my life even under the pressure of suffering Peter's talking about the suffering that the gospel is bringing because now they're believers and they're living according to godly patterns. But we have people suffering all around us. If you look around just now, you see there's many of you suffering today for different reasons. But the question is, how do we prepare ourselves? How does Peter illustrate this in 1 Peter? I want you to go back with me to chapter 2, verse 21 through 24. Let me give you a biblical example of what I believe Peter is talking about, this preparedness that needs to take place in our lives. Chapter 2, verse 21. It says this, for, for to this you were called, and we've read this before, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his footsteps. Verse 22. Listen what what the pattern is like. He committed no sin, which means the reminder here is do not let sin cause you to suffer. Christ's suffering was not based on his sin. It was based on taking upon himself your sin and my sin. Listen to what else. He says, deceit was was not found in his mouth. He was slandered by the Sanhedrin right before he he was crucified. He was ridiculed by the Roman guards. He was betrayed by one of his own people, one of his own disciples. He was beaten and he was unjustly punished, even though there was no deceit found in his mouth. Listen to what else. When he was malign, he did not answer back or he did not revile, as the Bible says here, in his suffering. He accepted injustice without retaliation. In fact, he accepted in silence. Listen to what else. He himself bore our sins, so he did that on behalf of others. All of that because he trusted God who judges justly. Now, if we use this pattern to put before us as a pattern of how we are supposed to live, let me ask you this question. Did Peter ask you to arm yourselves with anything else other than Jesus? Did he say, arm yourselves with weapons of mass destruction? Did Did he say, go and find some physical training buy some more ammunition and guns? Or did he say, make sure you have a sharp knife that's able to cut somebody else's ear off? Because remember, that's exactly Peter's testimony. What he's saying to them is, I've done it, you don't have to do it, Christ has done everything for you. So prepare yourselves in him. And then he says, not only there's a preparation here, but there's an attitude that must follow. And I think the attitude is very obvious at the end of chapter, uh, verse 1 here in chapter 4, he says, he has finished with sin. Now he's talking to you. And how can we be finished with sin here? How can we do this? David says that suffering in the flesh indicates that our human existence is weak, fallen, and therefore subject to pain and death. Now, the idea of having finished with sin here, somebody else explains it, is that explains in principle that in Christ, we have ceased from sin by dying with him. We died with Christ. But in actuality, we have ceased from sinning by being committed to living holy lives in the present. And that is significant because in chapter 1, verse 15, he says this, he says, be holy as God is Holy. And then he ends in chapter 4, verse 2 here, with the believer's concern, and that should be yours. If you want to leave here today saying, I didn't learn anything about the Bible today, you need to learn one thing. You need to be concerned with the will of God. Verse 2 In that he spends the rest of his time on earth, and he's talking about believers here, that now believers spend the rest of their times on earth concerned about the will of God and not human desires. Schreiner has a great quote here and he says, the point is not the believers who suffer have attained sinless perfection as if they do not sin at all after suffering. What Peter's emphasized was that those who committed themselves to suffer, those who willingly endure scorn and mockery for their faith show that they have triumphed over sin. They have broken with sin because we have ceased to participate in the lawless activities of unbelievers and endured the criticisms that have come from such a decision. The commitment to suffer reveals a passion for a new way of life, a life that's not yet perfect, but remarkably, remarkably different from the lives of unbelievers. So how does one live the rest of his life or her life according or concern with the will of God. Let me give you three things. First of all, you need to have the attitude of Jesus. Verse one, this requires a preparation just like a soldier. Number two, if you choose to suffer, do not suffer for practicing sin, for living a life of sinful actions, but choose to live a righteous life Life, so that if suffering comes, your suffering will come for righteous sake. And number three, and this is not in 1 Peter, but I think Peter understands this more than probably any other apostle. He says, I think, surrender. Not my will, but yours. That's what his Savior not our Savior said. So if it is suffering, let it be. Now, if you want to know how tragic it is to live a life of sin according to God, you do not have to look any further than verses 3, 4, and 5. And that's where I believe God is calling us to have a life of accountability before Him because He's going to establish a new pattern. But before He does, listen to what He does, which is, divine here he established and he goes back to the old pattern to make a, to make a comparison between the two so the old pattern here is found in verse 3 verse 3 says for the time that has passed was sufficient for you to do what none christians desire you live then in debauchery evil desires drunkenness carousing drinking bouts and wanting idolatries now peter's warning here is that he's going to contrast these things that I just mentioned to you with, with verse 2, which says that we need to be concerned with the will of God. In, in reality, what he's saying is how you should not be concerned with the will of God is by doing the things of verses 3, 4, and 5. But listen to what he does. Verse 1, or verse 3 here, the first thing he says is debauchery, which means behavior completely lacking in moral resistant, resistant, restraint. I mean, excuse me. You're literally giving into your body's desire. That's what he's saying. This is so dangerous, so dangerous, that Peter says in chapter 2, verse 11, here's what he says. Brothers, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, which means he's saying, listen, this land, this property, this, this territory that you're living in, this is not your home. So I urge you to remember that, and by doing so, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against the soul. You cannot serve two masters and please both of them. Second, evil desires. These are are the sinful passions that drive people into such indulgence. This leads to drinking. Parting, sexual immorality, all kinds of different things. And the combination of the two here are not only common today, but they were common 2,000 years ago, which means that the soul is waging war with the world. And in many people, because they're unbelievers, they do not understand the pattern that God has for them. Therefore, they're acting completely in a human desire. Drunkenness. Carousing, participation in wild parties, drinking bouts, people engaged in just those activities for the sake of getting drunk. And then he finishes with idolatry, which relates to the immoral worship of false gods. Now, if you want to look at the human condition, In our stand before the Lord, apart from Jesus Christ, those are the things that are in us. And that is why Jesus was necessary. So the question becomes, why should I abstain from those things? Why is this so important to Peter and to all the readers he's writing to? Because all these things, listen to me, CBF, all these things, are temporary pleasures they are incapable of filling the eternal hole that exists inside of us all those temporary pleasures they overpromise but they underdeliver That is why usually when those patterns are inside of us, we keep going back for more. That can be drinking. That can be pornography. That can be anger, rage. That can be lying. That can be impatience. That can be a lack of kindness. We always go back for more because those things don't last. It's like me eating chocolate, I, I, I just... It, it would be very nice to have one chocolate chip and just be satisfied for three weeks. But instead, you go back with one bag, and then you realize that I need another one and another one, and then I see heads shaking for the first time today, so that is good. <laughs> Listen, that was us. That is why the cross has to be there to move us from that condition into the condition of now we're part of the body. And now we don't do those things anymore, not because we want to show the world that we're better than they are. We want to show the world that there is restoration, and that is so valuable that I don't need to waste myself in the things that are temporary because they overpromise and underdeliver. Now, listen to verse 4. So they were astonished when you do not rush with them into the same flood of wickedness, and they vilify you. Here we found the present suffering. Not only those things were bad, now Peter's going to talk about the suffering that that they're going to face because they're going to be vilified by the things that they believe. To be astonished here, and and I looked this up multiple times because I wanted to understand what does that look like 2,000 years after he wrote, in my own life. How can somebody be astonished with this guy that I look in the mirror and I see nothing special? To be astonished here, means to experience a sudden feeling, listen to this, of unexpected wonder. This unexpected wonder was caused by a visible transformation, which means that we not only accept the gospel, but now we have to live the gospel. God didn't call us to be secret agents. He called us to be active believers. And so this unexpected wonder was caused by a visible demonstration that Peter's readers were no longer willing to do what everyone else was doing. And this came from a life transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit and by God's Word. You can't go to Walmart or Costco or any other place and find the transformation that Peter's talking to us about right here. It only comes through Jesus. That's why the more I go to parties, the more that I want those things, and those things cause no transformation because it's apart from Jesus. And as a believer who accepted the gospel as a 21-year-old, I understand that life. Peter's not talking to us here about being legalistic, church. He's not talking to us about having this approach of life that we're just better than everybody else, just like the Pharisees. No, he's not. He's actually talking about this from a spiritual freedom that God has given to us because now we're part of his family. And so the transformation of their lives here caused them to stop worshiping. Listen to this. Worshiping, lower G gods, getting drunk on immoral parties, cheating, fulfilling their carnal desires, and being involved in sexual immorality. That is nothing short than a miracle. But what we often forget is that, and we need to understand this because we need to teach that to our kids, is that the oppression that comes most of the times from the outside in is not an oppression that comes because they understand who we are. It's an oppression that comes because they do not understand the gospel. It's not like my kids now, they understand what buttons they need to push to get somebody else upset in my family. No. It comes because they do not understand the hope that you have, and that's why, that's the primary motivation. And so for Peter's readers here to participate in these things described by him here was was actually a normal thing in that kind of society. They used to do that. It was a community thing. Now, I grew up in Brazil, and you know that because I mention that every time I come up here. Now, as a teenager, it, it, it was, as an unbeliever, I was pressured to participate in something called Carnival. Carnival is literally the translation, vol is for festival, and Carnival, carni means flesh, so it's the, the, the festival of flesh, or the fleshly festival. It is usually in the months of October, November, and December that most kids are born in Brazil because of that party. And if you're not part of that, you're just weird. And that party lasts three months. And so when I read this and I realized Peter's readers, they were pressured to be part of those things, and now they're saying, man, I don't want to be part of this anymore. This, this is, unfortunately, that's not the life that I have. Ooh, you're weird. Now, and here's, here's the thing. I have been mocked multiple times because I accepted the gospel as a 21-year-old man in Brazil. I lost friends over this because I became a believer. But then I learned in my Christian walk that I gained, what I I had gained through Christ, was far better. I I was mocked for choosing to pray over God's provision for me in my own life, just to realize that God would continue to provide. I was called many different names just to learn that my name had been written in the Book of Life. I was, I was labeled a religious person because I grew up not only in the largest Catholic nation in the world, but I grew up in what is now the largest Pentecostal nation in the world as well. So I was religious, just to realize I did not have a religion, but I had a relationship with the Most High. my character was tested multiple times inside of my house outside of my work even in my own church the church that i start to learn the bible just to learn that the trial according to first peter 1 verse 7 says that the trials have shown proving character of our faith which is more valuable than gold And then I was told as a basketball player by my coach multiple times to leave this thing called God behind because God and basketball don't go together. Just to learn that I was supposed to set my hope completely according to verse 13 in chapter one on the grace that will be brought to me before Jesus Christ. Now listen, the present sufferings here can be used by God to build a foundation in your own life. One that will neither disappoint nor promise, over-promise, and underdeliver. Verse 5. They will face reckoning before Jesus who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. Now, we see... Peter's promising here a future judgment. Now, let me, let me give you a word of caution here because I, I've met many Christians that sometimes I'm not even sure if, if they believe the same gospel that I do and I'm not going to say that believers have not encountered me and probably asked, asked the same question. But there's a word of caution here in this verse, and I want to give it to you right now before we move forward. And the word of caution is this. This verse here is not here to encourage you to seek revenge. But it's here to encourage you to allow God, the right judge, to, to, to avenge. He's the one that will judge all people, according to Peter here, and by encouraging them to persevere in their faith. And here's the encouragement. You persevere in the faith and you leave everything else in God's hand. By doing that, Peter's actually communicating that God will take care of them. And if that is true, listen to to me, CBF. If that is true, then God's going to take care of you and me as well. Because we do serve the same God. Now listen to what we learn about this judgment here. Number one, I think there is, there's an account to be given for what we have done. It says here once again in verse, in verse five, they will face a reckoning before Jesus Christ who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. This is a courtroom language here that's referring to a final judgment where Jesus actually will be the judge. He's gonna judge the living and the dead here which is a reference to all people. The second thing is the judge has already been defined. They're not waiting for the government to step in. This judge is Jesus. They're not expecting him to be, to go through college and get his master's and PhD. No, he's, he's ready. He's the creator of the universe. He's the one who sustains everything. Third, not only the judge has been defined, but the judge is ready. And according to my calculations, this is almost 2,000 years that he's been ready. There's a lot of paper to fill up during that time, but he doesn't need paper. He knows all things. And we will face him. And according to 1 Peter 1, 17, we know this about Jesus because it refers to God in, in verse 17, it says that God the Father will judge impartially. And since Jesus is a representation of him, all Jesus, his judgment will be a judgment of impartiality. That's scary. The other day, my daughter was smiling, and I knew something was wrong. Yes, I guess you. some of you have kids. Maybe grandkids, but I judge that situation incorrectly. She was literally just having fun. And I, as the judge of my own house, judge her actions based on my human condition, which led me to an incorrect final judgment which incorrectly led to an incorrect punishment. This is not God. He doesn't make mistakes. He is the impartial judge who will judge all, the living and the dead. Verse six, now it was for this very purpose. Now you realize once again here, God does everything with a purpose. Contrary to your pastor up here. Now, it was for this very purpose that the gospel was preached to those who are now dead so that though they were judged in the flesh by human standards, they may live spiritually by God's standards. Now, there's a new standard here, and we're going to end with this. Finally, Peter's going to declare here that we must live our Christian lives according to God's standard. Not only we need to be concerned with God's will, listen to this, you're concerned with God's will, but God's will motivates you to live those standards every day. It puts you into motion. That's the reason why when you go to the gas station, you put fuel in your car. You don't put fuel so your car looks better. You put fuel so your car can drive. God has given us his will so he can direct us into living according to his pattern. And so according to Peter here, the saving message of Jesus Christ has proclaimed, that he has proclaimed here to those who are now dead. What does it actually mean? If you remember two months ago, when we went through chapter 3, verses 18 to 22, we talked a little bit about this, and I'm not going to spend too much time here, but I think the dead here is just a reference to those who believed in the message, and now, for some reason, either by persecution, hostility, or some, something like that, they're not actually living anymore. Perhaps some of them had died and become martyrs because of their faith, and even though they were judged in the flesh, which means that the world was judging them, now they live spiritually because they are in Christ Jesus. So in the eyes of the unbelieving world here, your demise, and listen to this, your demise may communicate that God does not exist, that faith is not real, that hope is not divine, and that eternal life is not only a myth, but that also Jesus is a fraud. And that makes you one too. Now let me end our time here with something a little bit different and I hope this will prove to you profitable. Peter ends this verse 6, this section here by saying, by saying this, so that though they were judged in the flesh by human standards, they may live spiritually according to God's standards. So the question is, what does it mean to live according to God's standards? So I went through the book of Peter a few times, and I wrote some things down for you. Here's what I think it means. Peter's actually, he wants them to understand that they are, number one, they're set apart by the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 2, according to the foreknowledge, verse 2 of chapter 1, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by being set apart by the Holy Spirit for obedience and for sprinkling with Jesus Christ's blood you were set apart for obedience. But not only for obedience, you're set apart for obedience so that trials may show the character of your faith. Verse seven. And here's what, it's, here's what I think it means. To live spiritually by God's standards is to be ready for action. Being fully sobered with their hope completely set on the person of Jesus Christ. First Peter 1, 13 15. To live spiritually by God's standard, according to what Peter has written to us so far, is to give, is to not give in to the devil' desires of the flesh, but to, not to seek perishable things like gold and silver, but to focus on the blood of Jesus, First Peter 1, 18 19. To live by God's standards is to love one another earnestly, to get rid of all hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Chapter 2, verse 1. It is to live like God's children, Understanding that those in him are part of a holy nation. Chapter 2, verse 9. Maintaining a good conduct among believers. Chapter 2, verse 12. And being subjected to every human institution ordained by God. Chapter 2, verse 13 to 17. To live spiritually by God's standards is to understand, to embrace, and to follow Jesus' suffering as an example. Chapter 2, verse 21. It is to worry about being spiritually, is not to worry about being spiritually adorned with physical beauty, but being spiritually adorned by God's word, chapter 3, verses 2 to 6. Now, here's here's a little phrase that you can just think through it. Don't let 90% of your beauty come off with soap and water. Don't let the outside be the primary motivation of your spiritual walk because according to Peter, that leads nowhere. But may you be adorned with his will and his desire and his word through the example of Jesus. To live spiritually by God's standards is to be harmonious, sympathetic, affectionate, com- compassionate, and humble, not returning evil for evil and insult for insult. It is to remember that you're blessed while suffering, to have a good conduct so that those who may slander you be put to shame. And here's the last thing you need to remember, that if this gospel is true, then you should most likely live your life understanding that you are victorious. So what is the point? The point, I believe, is that our destiny here is similar to Christ, and this is what Peter is saying. He died in the flesh and he was raised in the Spirit, so we should be willing to, according to Peter, to at least be unafraid of suffer for righteous sake, if that's necessary, and even even if that causes you and I to die. Now, you might say, Michael, how is that exciting? I don't know. I haven't been there yet. But here's what I understand about life is that most times, if God has set the pattern for me and I'm willing to follow, once that time comes for major decisions and situations like that, he will give me grace enough to go through it. But a lot of times when I'm here and I'm more concerned about my own will and those decisions come, he might help me through it, but he might drag me through it so I can accomplish that in which he wants for me. But here's one thing, that either way, how you choose to go, Christ has set the pattern, and his attitude is the one that Christ, that Peter wants us to follow, so that when those situations come, even in the suffering, that we might be able to represent him well. And so in the meantime, here's what I want you to do. I want you to arm yourselves by having the same attitude of Christ by being concerned with his will, with God's will, and by remembering that you once were in that life that was opposite to what God wanted for you, but now through the new birth, he is giving you a new life in Jesus Christ. So let's live according to his standards. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Oh, your word is so powerful. Father, I pray that you would teach us to be humble. That you would give us an attitude that reflects your son. That we would be able to be not only ambassadors for the gospel, but that we would be able to honor you. Father, I pray that if suffering ever comes, that if we ever have to go through suffering for the sake of the gospel, I pray that you would use this time now without suffering to prepare us for that moment. But in the meantime, help us to arm ourselves with the attitude of Christ so that we can be accountable to you for the life that you have transformed in Jesus' name.